All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you and in the warmer of the services. So, uh, but if you are still cold, especially on this half, if you if you need to be warmed up, you're you're welcome to. And you get to a point that you really like, just stand up and clap, and you know, you know, interact with with the sermon, and and then you'll you'll stay warm, I guess, through it all. Just do it. Yeah, it'll be fun. All, pa- all preachers want that. So anyway, uh, you know, it's great to be with you. We are in, uh, I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 25 is where we're going to start today in just a moment. If you like to take notes and you have one of our life journals, uh, that's a great way to kind of follow along on what we're doing. Uh, was that a good start to the morning? I love our worship band. They do such a great job. I think I could have, yeah, they do. I think I could have Dom, Dom's voice and Eliza's voice just like on Spotify and just listen to Suki, this, this silky smooth voice. It's like so good. Um, and mine is not. So anyway, uh, it's great to have them in their giftedness and, and uh, leading us that way. Hey, last week, uh, one of our uh, youth pastors, Tim, shared and did su- such a great job with the message. I love uh, the passage he brought us through last week. If you didn't hear it, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But one of the things as I was listening to it that challenged me that I really enjoyed was just this idea of, do we treat God as an investment? Is he, is he kind of our GameStop stock? No, is he, is he some sort of investment that we say, if we give enough and, and, and pour into it, as long as we get something back, like what's our return, God? And it was this challenge of don't treat God as an investment. As, do we have a submissive faith? Or faith that's trying to get something in return. And, and what a challenge just to think through that and to think there's a big difference between seeing God as a transaction versus su- just submitting and experiencing the life that he has. So uh, what a great job that was. And I wasn't here. We were away last week. I was actually in Park City. I know you feel sorry for me and, and my family. But we did to get, to get away and do a little bit of skiing and snowboarding. And, um, you know, but one thing about Park City this year is they haven't had a ton of snow um, until the day after we left. Um, but th- they had a little bit when we got up there, but a lot of the mountain was not open. But one of the things we do is usually I spend uh, one day with my family, skiing with them, with my kids, helping them, teaching them, going at their pace. And then after that, then I take a me day and say like, well, that was fun. I'll see you later. And then I have a day where I kind of explore the mountain by myself um, and they're off doing their own thing anyway. But um, so the second day when I was doing that and it's just kind of looking for a spot at Park City where I could find some good snow. And as I said, a lot of it was closed and um, there's like a couple different sections of the mountain. I took the gondola to the far other side and, and found some good stuff. And on the way back, you couldn't just, normally you'd be able to like take certain slopes down, but you had to literally take a gondola up and over to get back where you're going. So you had to kind of take a detour when I was heading back to the other side where we were staying, and I was taking that detour over. And when I got off the gondola, I heard somebody say something, said uh, about one of the lifts called Dreamscape, and that lift hadn't been open yet this year. So we're mid-January. It hadn't, they hadn't opened that part of the mountain yet. And literally, when I'm taking this detour, they said, we just opened that lift for the first time all year. Which, if you are into skiing or snowboarding, you, mean, you know what that means. It means that there is some untouched snow there. And I happened to be in the right spot at the right time. So I went over to the lift, and I got on that lift. And um, I happened to get on with a, a local 
And with COVID rules, he's sitting over there and I'm sitting over here, just, you know, whatever. So, um, but we're looking, going up this lift and seeing two feet of untouched snow below us in Park City. And we just thought like, how do you close the lift when we get off so no one else can get to this? Um, we can't. But so I spent like the next hour, it took about an hour to run, to ruin it all. But we got about five or six runs of fresh tracks, which when you're up there skiing, uh, you know how great that is. Now, this isn't about Park City or me. <laughs> I was realizing that sometimes you just get lucky, and sometimes in the detour, there's joy in the detour. And we're looking at a passage here today where we're going to see this character kind of take a detour, an unexpected road that you wouldn't, ex- you wouldn't think is going to make sense. That God leads him on a detour, but in that detour, there was joy to be found, not only for the person we'll read about, but the person he interacts with. And sometimes in our lives, we want everything to work out the way we planned it. And we think, God, I'll tell you what road I'm on, what I need to happen, how it's supposed to look. And anytime we get kind of taken off the course, we think, well, now what? But I want to, what I think we're going to learn today, what I've been learning this week as I process, is sometimes those detours, you find two feet of fresh power. (laughs) You find what you actually really needed. And so that's what we're going to see today. So uh, pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that there's unexpected blessings that we can find when we find our lives wrapped up in you. And so God, encourage us, challenge us. For those who are here today, Lord, who maybe are seeking, maybe they feel like they're running from you, would you call them back? And those who are looking for hope, would they find it today and find it in you? Not in any person, but in the God who loves them. So we pray now that you would encourage us, challenge us, teach us, and lead us today. In your name, amen. So Acts chapter 8, verse 25 is where we're going to be. And this is a story today of What I kind of see is like this rising star in Christianity. You know, the first several chapters in the book of Acts, we we kind of saw the the disciples, the famous ones, the ones who walked with Jesus, the people who you expect to be a part of the first church. And then starting in about chapter 6, we were introduced to a few new characters. And this one, his name was Philip. A couple weeks ago, we first saw him. He ended up in a region called Samaria, and he went up there. And was one of the first to actually fulfill what Jesus told them to do. He said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we know Philip was there in Samaria, and people were responding. He was starting to share the life of Christ with others. They were finding hope in him, uh, in Jesus. And so Philip was this rising star last week in the message. We saw him kind of interact with Simon the sorcerer. Anytime you read something like that, it's like, you know, Harry Potter meets Jesus kind of moment. And, and Philip was, was there in this story. So he's this rising star. And things are going well in Samaria. And then verse 25 of chapter 8 says this. When they solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. They were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road, the author tells us. So we see here right at this moment, when things are going well, the church is growing in Samaria. He's fulfilling what God has called them to do, 
And then there's that great moment, that word in the Bible says, but the angel of the Lord. Things are going well, but something else is going to happen. The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and tells him to go on the road towards Gaza, which you would have to go kind of south through Jerusalem. And then you enter into the southern desert of Israel, which is to this day just completely barren. And he went through a city called Hebron towards Gaza, which is on the Mediterranean. So once you get there, it'd be great. But you have to go through this desert road. Picture what Philip might be feeling at this point. But God, I'm, I'm where you want me to be. I'm fulfilling what you want me to fulfill. We're, we're, things are going well. Why now? Why now? And so as we go through this story here today, I want you uh, to see something in Philip's life that I think is a challenge for us. And there are going to be just four points about how do we find joy in the detours. And the first one is this. Let's be open to the inexplainable. How many of us actually, in our prayer life, if you are already a Christian, and even if you are not, I'll get to that in a moment, are you open to the inexplainable? Or are your prayers kind of like a prayer like, God, you know, thank you for your blessings. Keep them coming. Love the blessings. Just thank you for all you do for our family. Thank you for my kids. Keep my kids. Like when they rebel, let the rebellion only go like this far. Like stay within these bounds. Let them grow up and be like these perfect kids. And, and for me, we have three boys. So we pray that one day they meet these perfect girls who, who love you, who've never kissed another boy, who are just like these, you know, perfect. I, that's Lord, just stay in this zone. I'll, 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 I'll explain what you need to do. And so my prayer life is often just, God, I'd love to see you move, and here's your parameters. I don't want to have those moments where it says things are going well, but God said to Philip, let's do something different. Let me have you leave Samaria where things are going well, Philip, and I want you now to go on this desert road. I love how Luke, the author, adds in, this is a desert road. In other words, you're not on, this isn't the good road. This is the desert road. It's desolate. That's not the road you want to take. But Philip was called to do that. Now, in here, just a side note, for those of you who like the deeper truths in Scripture on the, the, the little nuggets of wisdom, it says the angel of the Lord here. It's a peculiar use. I don't know if this was a angelic appearance or just a voice or just a sense. We, we don't really know. It's only used couple other times in the book of Acts, and each of those were when a disciple was in a jail or prison, and the angel of the Lord shows up to, to actually rescue them. So it's kind of interesting that he starts with angel of the Lord, and the rest of this passage, we're going to see the Spirit of God prompting him. It could just be Luke's way of saying the same thing. We're not sure. We have no idea, but we know that he felt this prompting and goes. So an angel of the Lord speaks to him. He goes on this road to Gaza, and he responds. He was open to the inexplainable. You know, sometimes for those who maybe have been walking with Jesus, is there ever a time when you just sense that God put someone on your heart? Maybe a name of somebody. Maybe somebody you haven't thought of in a while. You wake up in the night and you're like, why is this person on my mind? I want to ask us as a church, let's respond to those moments. Pray for that person. Maybe reach out to him the next day, not at 3 in the morning. If he puts me on your heart at 3 in the morning, call me at like 9, okay? Not, not 3. But what if we responded and said, God, I don't know why. This doesn't make sense. It's inexplainable. But I want to respond. I want to be open. Maybe it's someone who you put on your heart. 
Maybe there's something that you feel God prompting you to do. You know, when I uh, finished high school, I was living, my dad was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, uh, up in the Northwest, and you had to kind of pick out colleges, and I, I decided to go to uh, Seattle Pacific University, which is in Seattle, aptly named. Uh, I wanted to be kind of near mountains so I could be by a ski town, but Seattle Pacific University is a private school up there in Seattle, and right before, it was the very first week I was there, I was in Hill Hall. I know we have um, at least one Seattle Pacific grad here right now working sound for us. Um, so I'm off heading to school, and the very first week, I just got the sense, and I think from God, that he didn't want me, or there was just something different, so don't go to this school is kind of the sense I got. And I was young. I was a young Christian, too. I was like 18 years old and just had this sense. So I went to my dad and said, like, hey, I, I don't think I want to go to Seattle Pacific. And because it's a private school, he, the Lord confirmed it to him right away. He said, yeah, you're right. And so um, we'll go to the community college instead. That was an easy convince for your dad. But I didn't know what it was for. And I know that at the time, what was I giving up? I'm going to miss out on living in the dorm. I was going to miss out on that kind of college experience. I'm going to be a community college student. Everyone else can say they're going somewhere cool. And I say, oh, I'm going to the community college. <laughs> and I had just started that summer. I was teaching a sixth grade boys Sunday school class at the church, mainly so I could learn the Bible because I was a new Christian and we'd be reading it. And these students like, yeah, I heard this a hundred times. Like, really? Are you serious? You see what Jesus just did? <laughs> And so I was teaching the sixth grade boys, and for some reason, I, I decided not to go to school, to, to Seattle Pacific, and right then, the youth pastors left, and they said, hey, there's no one to lead the junior high group, and your guys who you've been teaching are now seventh graders. Can you just help out in junior high? And I thought, well, I guess so. I'm at community college, and so I can do it. And so they said, yeah, just, you're in charge of junior high group. I'm like, okay, great. That's smart. I'm 18. And um, a few of my other friends are going to community college, so I had this team ready. I remember the first night of youth group, we had three girl leaders, three guy leaders. We were all ready. We had this cool plan. We were probably throwing food at the kids or something. You know, but old school youth ministry, when it was fun like that, where you could just make a huge mess, call it church. And uh, so we were all ready to go, and the first night, seven junior high boys showed up, and that was it. Seven boys. And they're like, okay, youth group. And I just remember thinking, oh, man. We have a long way to go. Within a couple of years, and this church we were at was located in a low-income neighborhood. Within a couple of years, we were having 75 to 100 kids show up. A lot of them from gangs uh, who were involved in gangs. It was a pretty rough area. And we were seeing tons and tons become Christians and lives were transformed. Even to this day, a couple of them became youth pastors and, and ministry went on. And I think, you know, sometimes the detour... And by the way, I just had the most awesome team who worked with the youth. They, they just did, they loved the students. It made it really easy. But sometimes in the detour, when you're not expecting the inexplainable, God says, I have something better. I want you on this road that looks like a desert road. So Philip goes, and he, now in verse 27, so Philip got ready, and he went. It doesn't make sense, but I'll go. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, a couple things. Again, textual notes, if you like the details. Candace is not her name. It was a title. It's kind of the Latinized title for, it's a queen of the kingdom of Cush. 
I know, you're like, well, yes, I knew that, of course. Uh, so in the region of Sudan and Ethiopia, it was a kingdom of Cush, and Candace was what they called all their, queen, their queens. So this queen, she's serving, and she has this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, won't get into all the details of that, but this was probably most likely in the ancient world. You have in ancient China and in parts of the Middle East, uh, it was common to take servants and sometimes slaves and make them into eunuchs, to make them so they were unable to have a family of their own. And it was for the purpose of putting them in a position in royalty. They would work in the courts because they were considered to be more trustworthy. Because they weren't going to be able to have any illegitimate kids. They weren't able to do anything that would uh, kind of harm or cause uh, damage to the kingdom. So this was intentionally done to them probably at a young age for the purpose of one day serving. Okay? That's important to know as the story goes on. So there's this Ethiopian eunuch. And again, Ethiopia in uh, scripture, when it's used, it, it actually wasn't a country at the time. But this in scripture was often used to refer to someone who was a black African. So they would consider in Egypt was a lighter skin. And Ethiopian was to dis distinguish and determine that you were very obviously different than those in the Middle East. Now this person is going to Jerusalem to worship. That's also a peculiar thing. We don't know anything about his faith background. There were some pockets of Jewish communities throughout the kingdom of Cush. So it could be that he was somehow, his family had become Jewish at some point, or maybe even more likely is the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem was essentially one of the ancient wonders of the wonders of the ancient world. It was this huge, it was being well known throughout all the Roman Empire. It was this grand place. And in the ancient world, of course, every country had their own gods they'd worship, the temples they'd go to. And if you were someone who was curious spiritually, it would make sense that you say, I want to go see the God of that temple. I want to go see that God and worship that God. I, there's something about it that's the splendor of the temple. I'm curious. And so it could be that this court official goes up there, maybe had some official business, maybe not, but somehow went there to worship. Now, a couple other things to understand. The temple in Jerusalem, if you, there was a court for the women and there was a court for men. There was a, uh, an inner area for if you were Gentiles, so probably for him, would not be allowed into the closer to the temple because there's a place just for Gentiles, non-Jews, and then there's a court for the Jewish men. So he would have already been somewhat excluded. And also there's a, a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, that many people would have applied. And it would say that essentially if you are a eunuch, you are not allowed to be a part of the assembly of the Lord. Now, this had to do with culturally it, um, the worship of the, the Jews at the time who would do that to themselves was a part of this kind of, if they did, was a cultic pagan worship. It wasn't if it had been done to them. So the verse out of context, though, being applied, if you were to show up, you're an Ethiopian eunuch, and you show up to worship in the temple, let me just say, it probably wasn't going to go well for you. You wouldn't have been welcomed in. So it's a peculiar note that that's who Philip is meets on the road. And he says when he was returning, he's sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So he picked up, somehow he got the scroll, the Isaiah scroll, we don't know how, don't know why, he's reading it. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, so that's the second time in the story, we see the Spirit speaking to Philip. He says, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, just so you know, again, the chariot going, when I first read this story, I thought, man, Philip's got some wheels. There's like a chariot going, and you just picture like Philip like running really close to him, like, hey, how's it going? You want to let me tell you about that? No, it's, it's probably being pulled by oxen, so it's like walking speed, okay? So culturally, it's going slow. So he runs up, and it would be unusual to approach someone who's in a royal chariot. It would be unusual for a Jew to reach out to an Ethiopian. A lot of unusual things. But Philip goes, and he hears him reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And in the ancient world, when you read, you would read out loud. That's just how they read. So I can't imagine what that would sound like in my house if we still did that to this day. When you hear everyone in the room kind of reading, or more importantly, just my wife reading, and I'm, you know, watching some car show on TV or whatever. But so he's reading out loud from Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how could I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This gets us to the second point of today. The first point is this, to find joy in the detour, be open to the inexplainable, and even be praying for it. Second one is this, be willing to walk alongside someone. Be willing to walk alongside the people who God puts in your life. See, this is not someone that would make much sense for Philip to say, hey, let me sit with you. Let me talk with you. Especially if, and very likely, it was obvious to everyone who the eunuchs were. So it was obvious to him. And he said, I'll come up and sit with you. He was willing to walk alongside him. I was thinking about this passage, and and one thing I was thinking is that, you know, there are more people seeking God than we will ever guess or ever know. When we live in a city like ours on the last census uh, 10 years ago, it said about less than 10% of Encinitas in particular claim to be followers of Jesus. And even with that, I don't know how many of those are actually followers of Jesus. So in our city, there's just very few would claim to be Christian walking with Jesus. So it, it, sometimes I feel like nobody wants to hear what we have. Nobody wants to know about our God who we worship. But I believe that there are many, many more people, maybe they're not thinking it's Jesus, but they're seeking for hope, they're seeking for peace, looking for truth. We got to be open and willing to walk alongside people. You never know what God's doing in their heart or in their lives. I want you just for a moment, think if you are a follower of Jesus, think of the people in your life who maybe you're uncomfortable with, but that God's put you and put in your life. Maybe it's a neighbor, coworker, a friend, maybe a family member. Who are the people that God's placed in your life that you can walk alongside? Maybe there's some people that you think, well, they, uh, they don't want to hear about Jesus. Maybe there's someone politically who you're just different than. But God's placed them in your life for some reason. And you're able to walk alongside them. Let's be people who are open to the Spirit of God and who are willing to walk alongside anybody, anybody who God places in our lives. The church should be the place that for someone who's seeking, they should say, I just can't wait to bump into a Christian because they're the ones who have hope and peace that I'm looking for. 
And traditionally, we haven't done that great as a church, not necessarily Seacoast, but as Christians. What if we did a better job coming alongside and walking with people wherever they're at? Think of traditionally who maybe some have been uncomfortable around church. I think of in particular anyone from the LGBTQ community, and there are even likely some who are with us, and I've talked with some of you, who my heart's desire is that you have people in your life, Christians who will walk alongside you in love and who will hear your story and say, let me just understand. I'm not coming to condemn you and to tell you what's wrong. I want to hear your story, just as Philip did with this Ethiopian. He said, hey, do you understand? He gets up and sits with him and comes alongside him. Our, our high school, junior high students, you have this opportunity every single, well, this year less so with distant learning, but in your friendships, in your schools, who are the people that God has placed in your life? We know that tons, tons of our teenagers are seeking for some deeper meaning. You guys have the opportunity to be that hope to someone. Let's be open to be willing to walk alongside others. Philip was willing, so he runs. He hears him in verse 30, reading the Isaiah, from Isaiah the prophet. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up, and now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. And now Luke's going to show us the passage that the Ethiopian was reading is out of Isaiah 53, and we're going to look at this. This is verses 7 and 8 in our Bibles, and it says this, and it's speaking about the Messiah Jesus, but here's what he was reading. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, like a lamb that is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does this prophet say this? Is he speaking about himself or someone else? Now, there's some cool things happening here. In Isaiah 53, it's this amazing passage that if a few verses before says that essentially that the Messiah will take on by his wounds we are healed. He takes on the sin of the world. So it's this great passage about what Jesus would do. But now I want you to moment Think of what this passage would sound like if you were an Ethiopian eunuch. If you were considered your whole life to be an outsider. If you were considered your whole life to not be worthy of having your own family. You'll never have a legacy. You were born, you, something was placed upon you that made you different than everyone else. And you'd nothing you could do about it. That's your story. Okay? I want to read a couple more verses from that same passage, but when I read these, think of them as if you were in that story. You were the outcast. You were the rejected one. And you're reading about the Messiah. This is in Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. It says this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root cut out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that, would, that we would even look at him nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for them, for him. All of a sudden, this passage, it's about the, the Messiah, 
This Ethiopian is finding himself in the story. He's saying, I feel like that. That's my story. No one has regard for me. People just walk right by me. They don't care about me. I, I relate. Who's he talking about? Who is this person? And then, check this out. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Which gets us to this next point. When we walk with Jesus, we can share Jesus. See, Philip had something to share. So walk with Jesus so you can share Jesus. Jesus had, or Philip had this vibrant faith and walk with Jesus. He understood the scriptures. He learned from the disciples. He had this prayer life, we assume, through responding to the Spirit. He was walking with Jesus, so he had something to share. Now look, imagine this now. When the Ethiopian says, who is he talking about? What did this sound like? I can imagine Philip say, oh, you got I got to tell you who it's talking about. This is talking about the Messiah, Jesus. Have you heard about him? Let me tell you about him. Oh, he was rejected. Oh, yeah, he died on a cross for us and rose again. But let me tell you about him. See, there was this time when there was this prostitute who he met. Everyone said that she was on the outside. Everyone said she had no part in the kingdom of God. Everyone said she was unworthy. Oh, but Jesus, you should have seen what he did. He forgave her. He said she is a daughter of God and was welcomed into the kingdom. Oh, you got to hear about Jesus. Oh, yeah, there's this other story of this woman who had seven different husbands, or one she was with wasn't even a husband, and she was a Samaritan. Nobody, she was as rejected as can be, and she encountered Jesus, and guess what? He didn't condemn her. He says, daughter, welcome to the kingdom. Now repent. Experience new life. This is the Jesus we're talking about. Oh, and the Ethiopian is hearing this story and saying, who is this? See, because Philip was walking with Jesus, he could share him, and it was exactly what this Ethiopian eunuch needed to hear. And only by coming alongside him, only by hearing his story, only by knowing his pain was Philip able to connect the dots. It comes from a place of relationship and a place of genuine love for that person. See, there was joy in the detour. No one expected on this desert road to have this encounter. And even this Ethiopian would not have been expecting. Can you imagine? You're reading your Bible in your, uh, uh, riding your ox, and all of a sudden someone's like, hey, what are you reading? <laughs> you want me to help you understand it? See, there's joy in the detour. When we're open to the Spirit. Now, I like to think that Philip took it one step further. He's reading from the Isaiah scroll, which wouldn't have had chapters and verses like us today. But if you read a little bit further on in Isaiah 56, I have it on the screen for you. I want you to hear this because this matters to the story. Isaiah 56, verse 3. This is from Isaiah the prophet after he just spoke about what the Messiah will bring healing and help. He says this, Let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, or let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me. In other words, to those who, the eunuchs who invite me into their life, to them 
I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. See, if you just keep reading in Isaiah's scroll, Philip was saying, hey, I know what you must think. I know what you must feel, but let me tell you the real heart of our God. The whole world has told you that you are damaged goods. That you're an outsider, never able to come in. But let's keep reading. Because the truth is, to the eunuch, God's inviting you in today. For some of you who are here this morning, you're thinking, I feel like an outsider. I'm in a church filled with people who are perfect, who woke up perfect. They were in good moods when they got out of their bed. Their hair was already straight. But not me. That's not my story. I'm an outcast. I'm an outsider. I'm not like them. To anyone who feels that this morning, I want you to know that the God of the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. To you who feel that way today, you are welcomed in. I have an everlasting name for you. Respond. So Philip shares that with him in verse 38. The eunuch orders the chariot to stop. Or no, sorry, verse 36. They came along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. So they both went down into the water, Philip as well as a eunuch, and he baptized them. He says, okay, I've heard the scriptures. I heard Isaiah 56. I know now I'm invited in. So what, what's going to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip's response is nothing. You are welcome in the kingdom. Jesus came for you. Let's do it. So they find some water on the desert road where there's a few springs that this could have happened. And they, he baptizes them right there on the spot. And when they came out of the water, check this out. The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him but went his way rejoicing. What? <laughs> this, was, this story was tracking. I was with you for a moment. Now What? <laughs> He baptized, imagine this, you're being baptized, going like, this is a great moment, and the band's ready to play as soon as you pop out, and it's like, you're going to get your free t-shirt, this is, this is, wow, I'm being baptized, you come out of the water, and you go to give a hug to Philip, and you're like, seriously, wait, what? What happened? The Lord snatches him away. Is this that God just again prompted Philip, so he's like, I'm out of here? Was it? One of, we know, like three other moments in the scripture or two other moments where God maybe snatched someone away and moved them. Something miraculous. Let me explain that to you. I can't. I don't know. We don't know. If that happened to me and I was the Ethiopian, I would think like, seriously, we were just getting started. Yeah? Okay, teach me more. He's gone. Wouldn't you think, wouldn't you feel a little robbed? Here's my guru. He's with me. He's going to teach me about Jesus. But look at his response. He went his way rejoicing. When I first read this, I thought it was strange. And, and I kind of pictured it to be like, wait, where'd he go? And he goes, oh, well, okay, let's go. My like, is it just that simple? As I more I pondered it, I thought this. 
that I think actually what's happening here is that miraculous whatever happened just confirmed to the Ethiopian that this whole thing was real. That God just confirmed that what you just experienced, this is legit. In the miraculous moment, he said, oh man, if this can happen, then what I just heard about this Jesus can happen. And so what I just read in scripture is something I can trust. And so all of this is real. And he goes away rejoicing. He's not mad or bitter. He says, this is amazing. And Philip, verse 40, found himself at Azotus, which is the name for the town of Ashdod, the city of Ashdod. And he passed through, and he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So we don't know, but Philip ended up in a city called Ashdod, which is right on the Mediterranean Sea. And it said he preached the gospel in all the cities. From there, you'd go up to a city called Joppa, where Jonah, the story of Jonah happens, and we later are going to find happens in the book of Acts again. Then he finds himself in Caesarea. So he goes north, and he's preaching along the sea. And we find that Philip, we find him again in Acts 20. He's still in Caesarea where he is raising a family, preaching the word of God. The last point for us today, finding joy in the detour is this. Practice responding to the Spirit. If you want to find joy in the, in the detour, let's practice responding. When you feel prompted by the Spirit, let's just respond. I call it this. Learn to follow God's, quote, ways, W-A-Z-E, the map. I used to be really great at directions. I still feel like I know my way around. But when I go somewhere, I always, almost always put the map on. Anyone with me? Like you drive somewhere you've driven a hundred times before and you put on the map so it can tell you. In mine, though, I have a female British voice on mine because I don't want to hear like some American guy say, turn right. I'm like, no, I'm not turning right. (laughs) But when she says, in 500 meters, take a right. I'm like, I'll do that. And she always tells me to take the exchange on the right. It took me a while to figure out what, what our British friend was telling me. I know some of you are here from England. We have some in Seacoast. And, you know, she said, put your stuff in the boot and take a left. Come on, let's go. <laughs> I'll tell you later. So I learned to take the exchange or get on the slip road. And when I first started using these maps, maybe you're with me. Did you ever question them? Did you ever argue with her? Like, that's not how you go. I'm not taking the exchange on the right. I'm going to go five more miles this way. And you pass it, and she goes, I told you to take the exchange. Okay. Take a U-turn. I'm like, I'm not taking a U-turn. I know where I'm going. And then two minutes later, what happens? The road's closed because of an accident. And the traffic line is all red on my app. And she's like, I told you. I wish it would do that. I wish it would. It doesn't do that. But when I first got it, I was like, I'm not going that way. That doesn't make any sense. Anyone with me? And then what happens when you start listening? You start saying, fine, fine, I'll take the exchange. I'll get off the slip road. And you go on this back road, and you look on the side, and you see all the traffic backed up. You're like, thank you. It's like, I told you. (laughs) Learn to listen, would you? Typical man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got an amen on that, yeah. <laughs> See, when we practice responding to the Spirit of God, 
we start to trust that he didn't tell us to get off on the slip road by chance. He saw what was coming. And the more we learn to walk and the more we practice responding, the more we say, oh, when I hear that voice again, now I know that you saw something I didn't. Now I know you had a detour in mind for me, that there's something great in this detour that I would have missed when I'm stubborn. As the band makes their way up, I would just encourage us as a church, let's find joy in the detour. And by the way, when we're listening to the voice of the Spirit, that's, that's a complicated thing. I want to always encourage you, check it with Scripture. If the Spirit of God is prompting you to do something that doesn't line up with Scripture, you might want to check it. Check it with people why we think it's so important that you journey in a life group and have other people in your life because they can be very good at helping you determine, hey, that might not be the Spirit of God. Now, there's sometimes things are still going to seem a little inexplainable. But if it do- goes against Scripture, it does, that's one of the things that we go, wait, well, maybe that's not the Lord. Let's use wisdom of other people in our lives. But the more we practice responding, the more we start saying, oh, I know that voice. And I trust that there's something down this road that is so much better than I could have ever planned on my own. So let's respond in this last song uh, with prayer and, and a, a response of our heart. So would you just stand with me and reflect on the words, reflect and just let this be our cry and our prayer as a church. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the challenge to respond to you. I thank you for the, the reminder that there's joy in the detour. And God, I pray for anyone here who feels like they are the one who's on the outside. Would you remind them today you're welcoming them in? And for those, Lord, of us who need to be reminded of the joy of following, the joy of walking with you, responding to your spirit, would you give us the courage to follow, to respond, to trust? We thank you in your name. Amen.